Isaiah chapter 55. Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the waters. And you without money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money on what is not food and your wages on what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and you will enjoy the choicest of foods. Pay attention and come to me. Listen so that you will live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the promises assured to David. Since I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples, so you will summon a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you will run to you. For the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, has glorified you. Friends, now turn to 983, John 6, 35. Page 983, John 6, 35. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Therefore the Jews started complaining about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Stop complaining among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has listened to and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. I assure you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. At that the Jews argued among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, I assure you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. 
Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, because my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood lives in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the manna your fathers ate, and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, This teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were complaining about this, asked them, Does this offend you? Then what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some among you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who would not believe, and the one who would betray him. He said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. Therefore Jesus said to the twelve, You don't want to go away too, do you? Simon Peter answered, Lord, who will we go to? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus replied to them, Didn't I choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is the devil. He was referring to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, one of the twelve, because he was going to betray him. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we sit humbly before you tonight asking that uh, you would feed us, uh, that you would nourish us, that you would uh, stretch our mind, that you would warm our hearts, that you would send us from this place tonight uh, deeper and deeper in love with Jesus. In his name, amen. So I'm a bit coldy tonight, so do pray for my voice. Uh, the question tonight is this, uh, why do people uh, not believe in Jesus? It's a bizarre question, isn't it? You ever asked that question? Why do people not believe in Jesus? Why are there so few people who actually follow Jesus? Uh, I walked to church this morning before 9.45 and uh, there were the crowds of people doing the, the seven bridges walk. Some of you were there. There were far fewer people in church than there were walking over the bridges this morning. There are far fewer people in church tonight than we're watching the X Factor grand final tonight. 
There are far fewer people in church on the weekend than there are down the beach or in the coffee shops. Or Why do people not believe in Jesus? And if you're here tonight and you love Jesus, you've got to ask that question. I mean, Jesus says the most extraordinary words. He says, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry again, and everyone who believes in me would never be thirsty again. Jesus is saying, if you come to me, you are satisfied, and I sustain you, and you find contentment and meaning and purpose and hope. And if you've come to Jesus, you know that's true. He is the bread of life. He does satisfy. He does sustain you. So why don't people believe? Remember that quote from Robbie Williams last week? A man who's got everything. What was the word that he used to describe his life? Empty. There's a lot of empty people out in our world today. And Jesus says, come to me and you won't be empty. Trust in me and you won't be empty. I will satisfy you. I will sustain you. So why don't people believe? I was thinking of my friend Phil. I was at university with Phil. I was that Christian friend who invited him to every single possible gospel talk I could. And he has sat through more simple, persuasive gospel sermons than most people. And he chooses to reject Jesus. Think of my friend Judy who once tasted Jesus. She understands the gospel, but she's chosen not to believe. I think of my own brother, Mark, who, he understands grace. Uh, he actually quite likes Jesus, but he refuses to follow Jesus. I think of the Christian Explored course. You know, we run the Christian Explored course, and over seven weeks, these people sit in a room, and they hear these amazing talks about Jesus. They go through Mark's gospel. And I can predict at the end of every course, there'll be some people who say, I want to give my life to Christ. Hallelujah. And others go, not interested, not for me. On December the 14th, God willing, there will be, what, thousands of people under the harbour bridge singing carols. They love to sing about Jesus. What is the most awkward moment in carols under the bridge? The sermon. When I get up to speak. Here's what happens. Everyone loves singing cows. I get up to speak, suddenly the line for the toilets is a mile long. <laughs> and the queue for the food. And the, the wine opens, and they start to chat because they don't want to hear about Jesus. What are the, the two services of the year that this church is absolutely packed with visitors? Christmas and Easter. And they hear a very clear gospel message, same faces year after year, and yet they don't believe. I think of a family I was at Bible college with godly parents, four kids. They read the Bible with their kids, they took the kids to church, they prayed for their kids, and today two are following Christ and two are not believing in Jesus. Do you ever ask why not? When you see people reject Jesus, it's hard, isn't it? If you're the kind of person who 
invites people to church, when they keep saying no, don't, don't you find that hard? As you invite your friend for, to carols, you put your, yourself on the line, you have the courage, please come to carols, and they say, oh, no, I'm not interested in Jesus. Well, don't be discouraged. John chapter 6 is actually a perversely encouraging chapter. It's perversely encouraging because it begins with thousands of people. Jesus feeds 5,000 men, that is 10, 20,000 people. And the crowds of people that they like Jesus and they want to hear Jesus, they see Jesus, they hear Jesus, but they refuse to believe. What Jesus says down in verse 35, I am the bread of life. No one comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But, verse 36, you've seen me, yet you do not believe. Now that's the verse for the people who say, if only I'd seen Jesus, I would have believed. And you go, no, you wouldn't. Most people didn't. The Jews didn't in verse 41. They're complaining, they're whinging, they're grumbling about Jesus because he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. The disciples don't in verse 60. When many of his disciples heard this, they said, this teaching is too hard, Jesus. Verse 64, but there are some among you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who would not believe and the one who would betray him. Down to verse 66, from that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied Jesus. In many ways, this is a chapter of failure, isn't it? Jesus has got 20,000 people to begin with, but at the end of his sermon, he's left with a handful. So what would be your advice to Jesus? Go on a communication course and learn how to preach better? Or maybe you'd say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, why don't you just change your message a bit? The message you're teaching is a bit too tough. I mean, you talk about the expectations and the demands. Why don't you just preach a, a feel-good kind of message? Then the crowds would flock in, wouldn't they? So that's our question. Why don't people believe? And maybe you're here tonight and you don't believe. Why don't you believe? Maybe you're here every week. But deep down you don't believe. Why not? Look at two stumbling blocks, two reasons that people don't believe. Here's the first one. The divinity of Jesus. People like Jesus the man. People like Jesus the miracle man. People like Jesus the healer and Jesus the teacher. But they don't like Jesus being God. People refuse to believe in the incarnation that the word became flesh. That's the issue for the Jews in verse 41, isn't it? The Jews started complaining about Jesus, just like the Israelites did back in Numbers. They've seen God's provision, but now they're grumbling. What are they grumbling about? Look at verse 41. Because Jesus said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Because Jesus said... Heaven was my home. I've left heaven and I've come to earth. And the Jews say to Jesus in verse 42, Jesus, you're just the son of Joseph. 
Jesus, we know your father, we know your mother, we know who you are. How can he say, I've come down from heaven? They're saying to, to Jesus, go on to ancestry.com. Check out your heritage. Your mum is called Mary, your dad's called Joseph. You are a lunatic claiming to be God. It's the same in verse 51. Jesus says, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. I've always existed. I left the luxuries of heaven and I came to earth. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Though he was rich, he became poor. He left heaven, he came down to earth. It's called the incarnation. We celebrate it every Christmas. And you know, if you think about it, I kind of understand why the Jews didn't get it. Why don't you imagine it, that you go back in time 2,000 years and you are living with Jesus. And I want you to imagine that you're actually Mary and Joseph's friends and you do dinner parties with Mary and Joseph. And there's Jesus, age 32, and he says to you, I am God. Heaven is my home. And you turn to me and say, Jesus, don't be stupid. I saw Mary change her nappies as a baby. You're not God, you're just, a, you're just a human being. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Before Adam, before Abraham was, I am. And you say, Jesus, don't be so stupid, Jesus. Like, I took you to school. I watched you learn your alphabet and I watched you do the sums. You're not God, you're just a human being. And Jesus says, I've always existed, I am from eternity, I'm fully God. And you say, Jesus, you're being stupid. Like, I was there in Nazareth when you bought that house and I, I babysat for you, so Joe and Mary could go on a date night. And Jesus said, no, I am God. Fully God, I've come down from heaven. Heaven's my home. You see, we just accepted that Jesus is God, but if you're face to face with a human being, imagine that my son Sam walked into church tonight and says, I am the bread of life who's come down from heaven. You'd think, he's eaten too many lollies or had too much sugar today. He's a lunatic. See, it's hard to believe, isn't it, that, that, that God should leave heaven that God should take on flesh and become a human being and walk this earth. And when you read the words of Jesus, it's not just the words of a man, it's the words of God himself. So do you believe that, that Jesus is God? It has been a stumbling block throughout history. Now, try talking to your Muslim friends. They'd be quite happy to hear that Jesus is a prophet. Surah 2 verse 28 says that, but God, no way. Talk to your JW friends. He's a prophet, but he's not God. We sing about that in church, don't we? You were as I, tempted and tried human. The word became flesh. God entered this world. We sing about it at Christmas, don't we? Thousands of people singing, Hark the Herald. Listen to this verse. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. 
Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. What's the next line? Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. That's Christmas. The bird coming down from heaven. And now do you get the irony? What's our biggest service of the year? Christmas. What do they hear about? The incarnation. The biggest stumbling block. Of course they don't believe. So they're complaining in verse 41 about Jesus claiming to come down from heaven. And then they argue in verse 52. What are they arguing about this time? They argue amongst themselves, how can this man give, give us his flesh to eat? Because what has Jesus said back in verse 51? I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh or my body. So he's not talking about the incarnation now. What's he talking about? When does Jesus give his body? When does Jesus give his flesh for the sake of the world? What's the event? The cross. And that's the biggest stumbling block. That They hate the divinity of Jesus and they hate the death of Jesus. Uh, the language changes from verse 53 onwards. It's not bread, it's now flesh. It's not eating bread, it's eating flesh and drinking blood. Uh, look at verse 53. Jesus said to them, I assure you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, unless you feed on me, partake of me, you do not have life in yourselves. But anyone is open to everybody who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day because my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood lives in me and I in him. Just as a living, as a living father sent me, and I live because of the father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It's not the manna. That led to normal death. But the one who eats this bread, the one who eats of the body of Christ, will live forever. Now what on earth is Jesus talking about? Eating of the flesh, drinking of the blood, feeding on Jesus. He's not talking about cannibalism. He's not talking about communion. He's talking about the crucifixion. When's this taking place? Look at verse 4. Now the Passover was near. So the Jews were celebrating the Passover. What do they remember at the Passover? What will come back to me to Passover night? It's the night when God is going to pass over in judgment and the angel of death is going to come and the firstborn in every household is going to be killed unless you have got what? The blood of the lamb round the doorpost. So come into the Dale household. And it's seven o'clock and Sam says to me, Dad, have you, have you put the blood on the doorpost yet? Yes, Sam, it's over the doorpost. It's nine o'clock and Sam comes downstairs from bed. Dad, are you sure you've done it? That stuff with the blood? Yes, Sam, it's over the doorpost. 
11 o'clock, Sam comes downstairs, Dad, can I just have a look at the doorpost just to make sure the blood's there? Trust me, Sam, I've done the stuff with the blood. And Sam says, Dad, do you mind if I just sleep with you tonight? I'm a bit scared. And so Sam sleeps with me and the angel of death comes at midnight and is there weeping in the Dale household? No. Is there wailing in the Dale household? No. What's happening in the Dale household? What are we doing? We're worshipping. We're praising. Because death has passed over us because we've sheltered in the blood of the Lamb. Sam has been spared. He deserved death, but he got life. Why? Because he's under the blood of the Lamb. And now do you get what Jesus is saying? If you eat of my flesh, if you drink of my blood, if you come to me and shelter under the cross, just as the, the Lamb of Passover was, was sacrificed to spare people from death, so the Son of God is sacrificing himself at the cross so you and I could be spared from death, can have life. Now look at verse 51. The bread that I will give is not taken from Jesus. He voluntarily gives his life. He gives his body. Look at the next word. For, on behalf of, in the place of, as a substitute for the life of the world, is his flesh. That is why the cross is the most spectacular act of history. So how do you and I get life? Look at verse 53. Eat the flesh. Drink his blood. Eat the flesh. Verse 54. Drink his blood. Uh, he's not talking about communion. He's talking about trusting, believing, partaking, coming, seeing Jesus. Here's how Augustine puts it. To eat the flesh and to drink the blood is to retain a a sweet and profitable memory of the fact that Jesus' flesh was wounded and Jesus was crucified for me. And that's why we sing so much about the cross here at church. Someone left church two years ago and as I met with them to talk about why, they said, it's because we sing too much about the cross. Not enough about the Father, not enough about the Spirit, just all about the cross. It's all about the cross, isn't it? If Jesus didn't die, we have no life. Do you love singing about Jesus? Do you love singing about the cross? Does it, does it affect you not just here, but affects you here? In Christ alone, the words, till on the cross, listen to it, till on the cross as Jesus died, the, the wrath of God was satisfied. God's anger was turned away. God's anger was poured onto Jesus so that you, you could have life. That you'd never die. You will be raised on the last day. Isn't that glorious? Do you know, earlier this year, the, the Presbyterian Church in America had produced a hymn book. And they wanted to print the words to In Christ Alone. They said they didn't like the words to In Christ Alone. They wanted to change a line. The words say, till on the cross as Jesus died, the, the wrath of God was satisfied. But they didn't like the concept of God's wrath. And so they wanted to change the words till, till on the cross as Jesus died, the, 
the love of God was magnified. And that is true. The love of God magnified at the cross of Christ. Of course it is. But so much more than just the love. It's, it's God's anger, God's wrath being turned away so that you can have life. So why is the death of Jesus so offensive? What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that the cross is a stumbling block for the Jews and foolishness for the Gentiles? Why is it offensive? I have to say I wonder whether it's our arrogance as human beings that we kind of think, I don't need God to come to earth. I don't need God to die for me. I can do it my way, surely. And we overestimate our own ability and we underestimate our problem of sin and hell and the wrath of a holy God. And if you've never meditated on the cross of Christ, read this book, The Cross of Christ by John Stott. Over 20 years old, still the best book, in my opinion, on the cross. Now, now do you spot the biggest irony? When do unbelievers walk into church? Christmas, what do they hear about? That's the divinity of Jesus. Easter, what do they hear about? The death of Jesus. God's got a sense of humor. Let me ask you four questions. If so many people don't believe, why do you believe? How come you're here tonight? How come you're believing in Jesus, if you are believing in Jesus? And Jesus' answer to you from this passage is, it's a miracle. It's God's work, not yours. See that in verse 63? Jesus says, the spirit is the one who gives life. You can't do it, but God can. Or down to verse 65. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted to him by the Father. Unless the Father draws him. The same in verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. I love that word, draws. The word is literally, he woos me. It's the picture of a, of a lover wooing his beloved. And it's saying the father has wooed you. He's drawn you to himself. How has he done that? He's opened your eyes to see Jesus. He's enabled you to see the death of Jesus. He's enabled you to come to Jesus and just to say, Wow, Jesus, you do that for me? How can a person believe? It's the work of God. It's a miracle. God sovereignly chooses people. And before you just say, oh no, Paul's getting all Calvinistic again. I'm just preaching the Bible. Throughout the Bible, there's these two parallel train tracks. One is called God's sovereign choosing. One is called human responsibility. And the Bible unashamedly keeps the two in parallel and doesn't explain how it works. God calls, we are responsible. God draws, we are responsible. Now, the best illustration is that you know, when you become a Christian, when you do believe in the death of Jesus, uh, it's like you walk through this door, and over the doorpost are the words, I have decided to follow Jesus. I've made a commitment. I've chosen Jesus. And as you walk through that door, sort of feeling really good, saying, wow, it's good to be a Christian. 
But you look over your shoulder. And you see over the doorpost, on the other side of the doorpost, is the words, God has called you. You've chosen, God's called you. So why do you believe? Because God has drawn you. The Spirit has enabled you. And it's the most totally, beautifully humbling doctrine. And we're supposed to read the chapter 6 and say, God, why me? Do you ever ask that question? Why me, God? Why did you open my eyes, God? Go home tonight, look in the mirror, and just say, Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. It's totally humbling for me and Rach as parents. Now, our, our biggest longing for both Sam and Nathaniel is that those two boys grow up knowing and loving Jesus. So, what do we do? We can pray. We can read the Bible to them. We can model to them. We can have you wonderful people who model to our boys what it really means to follow Jesus. But at the end of the day, what can we do? Nothing. It's God who chooses. Maybe that's fireworks for people coming to life. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? From death to life. There's celebrations in heaven, rejoicing in heaven. People being saved. Second question for you. What do we do if people refuse to believe? What do you do if you you pray for people and you explain the gospel to people? What, What do I do with Phil and Judy and all my triathlon friends who are pursuing pleasure. What do you do? You, you pray for them. Please, Lord, open their eyes. Please, Lord, soften their hearts. Please, Lord, if they, if they belong to you, please draw them quickly. Don't make, don't make me wait much longer. You pray. And what else do you do? Just point them to the words of Jesus. Look at verse 63. The spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help you. Your works don't help you. Your body doesn't help you. But the words that I have spoken, Jesus' words, are spirit. That's how the spirit works, through the words of Jesus to bring life to people. And that's why Simon Peter says down in verse 68, Lord, who will we go to? You, Jesus, have the words of eternal life. What do people need to hear? The words of Jesus. So friends, if you have been praying for somebody for many, many years, please don't give up. Keep praying. Keep pointing to the words of Jesus. As a pastor, I have the privilege of hearing so many stories I've heard of stories of people coming to faith 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years after people started praying for them and sharing the gospel with them. The Father drew drew them in his perfect timing. I heard this week about a lady who'd been a Christian for 25 years and she led her father to Christ just before he passed away from this earth. 
And he died a believer. Praise God for that. Uh, my parents were not believers. But for some bizarre reason, they chose a, a Christian lady to be my godmother. I know she prayed for me. I know she gave me little books about Jesus. Uh, she died two years before I came to Christ. She never saw the fruit of her prayers. For that verse, I will raise him up on the last day. I'll be there in glory with her. So keep praying. And keep sharing about Jesus. The Father will draw people in his perfect timing. So how can you be sure? How can you be sure that you really are saved? John chapter 6 is just wonderful. Look at verse 37 with me. Look at the first word, everyone the Father gives me will come to me. If the name is in the book of life, you will come to Jesus. And the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. He will not say to you, you've been too bad, you've waited too long, he will say, welcome. You're finally home. Look at verse 39. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he's given me, but I will raise them up on the last day. It's the picture of, of the son holding on to you. The son saying, you're mine, you're safe, I will keep you. And I'm totally aware that there'll be people in this room tonight who who have had tragedy and you've had trial, you're going through the storms of life and it feels like you are clinging on to Jesus by the finest of threads. And Jesus looks at you and says, actually, I am holding on to you right now and my grip is so much firmer and I'll never let you go. So what does Jesus want of you? What does he want? He wants you to do verse 54. To eat of his flesh, to drink of his blood, so you will have eternal life. Do you remember the Israelites back in the wilderness? Waiting for the manna each day. What did God ask of them? He asked for a daily Deliberate, disciplined, dependence on the God who would keep them. What does God ask of you today? The daily, disciplined, deliberate dependence on Jesus. Come to him every day. Feed on him every day. Meditate on his words. Trust him. Soak yourself in him. Believe, look, come, feed, meditate. Be a Jesus freak. Depend on Jesus every single day. Let me finish by telling you about this man, Tom Carson. Tom Carson is the father of Don Carson. He is quite a famous Christian writer and preacher. Tom Carson was a pastor in Canada who labored away for the Lord for 25 years. 
He prayed for the lost. He evangelized. He door knocked. And he saw so little fruit. So little people came to faith. Until he died. And after his death, people started coming to faith in Jesus. And they all said, oh, it was Tom Carson who first told me about Jesus. It was Tom Carson who read the Gospels with me. It was Tom Carson who led me to Christ, but he never saw it. And I read from his journal when he is most discouraged. He says this. September the 6th, 1973. 6.40 a.m. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than, than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands than to be a king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world, this world affords me today. I'd rather have Jesus. And that's my prayer for you, that you'd rather have Jesus that you feed on Jesus because he really is the bread of life. Why don't we pray? Why don't you pray just where you are in your own hearts? Pray for yourself that you would feed on Jesus. And please, please, please pray for those people that you know, those people that you love, those people that you cherish who do not yet know Jesus. And would you beg of Jesus? Would you beg of the Father that he would draw them to himself? Why don't you pray and then we'll sing again.